0: Dr. Diane Hamilton is the founder and CEO of Tonera, a consulting and media-based business, as well as the former MBA program chair at the Forbes School of Business. She has authored multiple books, including Cracking the Curiosity Code, The Key to Unlocking Human Potential, and The Power of Perception, Eliminating Boundaries to Create Successful Global Leaders. She is the creator of the Curiosity Code Index and the Perception Power Index, assessments that help leaders understand their blinders in perception and curiosity. Thinker's 50 Radar has chosen Diane as one of the top minds in management and leadership. She was named to global leaders today's list of top leaders alongside Musk, Bezos, Branson, and Sheryl Sandberg. And Leaders Hum included her on their list of the 200 biggest voices in leadership and in the top 10 most powerful women leaders in HR. Diane is highly sought-after keynote speaker and nationally syndicated radio host, who has shared the stage with top speakers including Marshall Goldsmith, Brene Brown, and Martha Stewart. She has been featured on Forbes, Inc., Harvard Business Review, First for Women, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, among many other notable business media outlets. Diane is an experienced leader, serving on multiple BOAs, including DocuSign, Global Mentoring Network, Ted Wall Street, and LeaderKid Academy. Her experience on boards includes working alongside top CEOs from Adobe, McDonald's, General Motors, NASA, North Face, Salesforce, United Airlines, Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary, and many other top brands. Diane has a history of award-winning performance and is a seasoned professional within education, software, banking, real estate, and pharmaceuticals. Diane, welcome to the One Away Show.
1: Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to do this.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for making time for the audience that is here. uh, Diane was up at what time? 3 a.m., 4 (laughs) a.m.?
1: I start working sometimes as early as 4. I'm crazy. I mean, I I, I go to bed like, you know, it's still light out, though. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get real curious about, you know, your, your work ethic here on the show. So, all right. Oh, well, Diane, uh, what, what is the one away moment that you want to share with us today?
1: You know, I, there's been so many from taking a one phone call. I almost didn't take, uh, to take a Kelly girl job, but it was called Kelly girl at the time, the Kelly services that, um, turned into a 20 year career with a company, a marriage and two kids. Uh, But uh, I think that was probably the biggest uh, moment. But I I think one of the most recent moments uh, was uh, probably how I got into what I'm doing now, which was I had a professor who I took for part of my doctoral training, who I thought was nuts, man. He was just really out there. (laughs) I remember I had to talk to him on the phone one day and I, I had to tell him what my topic was for my doctoral dissertation. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to study sales, but that was really all I knew I wanted to study. And I said something about, yeah, I'm going to look into sales performance. And somehow he heard me say, um, oh, self-performance and how it uh, relates to emotional intelligence. That's a great topic. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I had no idea what he was even talking about at the time. And it totally changed. You know, I never even heard of it. And I looked into it and became, you know, very interested. And in, I wrote my dissertation on it. I've even had Daniel Goldman on my radio show. You know I mean? I've gotten really into it and it changed my trajectory because I got into personality assessments. I wrote a book with my daughter about all these different personality assessments. I, uh, I think your last guest, I looked at David Merman Scott did something like that. I saw your, uh, um, last year. Yeah. 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 I did the same kind of thing. And, uh, I, I have written five books now, and all of them have kind of been based on just ending up with a PhD and, and different things. But it, it changed my life. And actually, I dropped that guy because he was so crazy. When I got on the phone with him, he goes, welcome to the cave. I'm going to eat you up like jello pudding. And he was this really weirdo guy. Like, And I thought, this guy, I can't deal with him because he. the one paper I had turned in with him, He said, oh, you wrote that too fast. Think how great it would be if you took some time. So I waited a week the next time before, after I wrote it to make him think I spent more time. And then he said, oh, that was so great. Look how much better that was. So I knew this guy was kind of crazy from just the two interactions (laughs) I'd had with him. And I dropped him and I can't remember what his name was. And I I sometimes think I need to contact that school to figure out who that guy was, because I want to kind of tell him that he changed my life.
0: Oh, my God. Well, that's wild, you know. You have this professor who took you on a path that maybe you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. It kind of rooted in what sounds like emotional intelligence. You've been able to build a foundation or body of work around. Now, as you look back on that period of time, do you sense that you were acclimated with these emotional intelligence skills and, and this body of work, or? Was it this completely underground world that you knew you needed to dive into that was calling you, but you didn't really understand and, and know what you're getting into or a combination of the two? You
1: know, it's interesting to look at that because I discovered emotional intelligence is really about understanding your own emotions as well as those and others, and then acting appropriately based on what you've learned. Right. And I don't think I had so much of a problem with emotional intelligence, but I, I didn't recognize how much of a problem Soft skills were in the business world. You know, I I knew certain things made people successful, but I hadn't really put my finger on it, you know, what it exactly was what we needed to fix. And I think that it was really fascinating to me to delve into, you know, people are hired for their knowledge and fired for their behaviors. So behaviors became very interesting to me. And I wanted to find out which ones were helpful, which ones weren't not helpful. And I I found a lot of people would come to me at work for like, this person says this, what do you think kind of things? You know what I mean? And I don't know. I seem to be a sounding board for people. I I can't say that I'm so great at my own emotions, but I guess I'm able to look outside and help other people sometimes. Maybe I should have gone into some kind of psychology. I don't know. I loved having psychologists on my show. Uh, I find that whole realm endlessly interesting because it's so subjective. I love things that are subjective. Uh, I teach ethics. I teach, I've taught so many different classes. I mean, thousands of different courses uh, through the years and just looking at people's perspective fascinates me. And maybe that's why my last book was on perception and why I write about curiosity so much. I just don't think you ever really get to the bottom of all of it. And that fascinates me
0: yeah, that's amazing i mean it's it, there's always more digging that you can do and there's there's never it's not like you ever run out right the, the show yeah. always more alleyways to go down and it's just you know how much do you really want to peel away uh <laughs> right. at your own discretion <laughs> um so you know it's interesting though the discretion you said about between fascinated by others versus like understanding yourself and how you hear, you know, yeah, the combination of both more or less now that drives behaviors around it. So, um, so you had this professor, maybe kind like came in, shook up your way of thinking, uh-huh. knowing, or doing, uh-huh. um, how did you respond? I mean, how did it change your course, you know, specifically?
1: Well, after he said that I immediately dropped him and switched to a professor who I know I loved and I, I was much happier, but I took what he said, and I looked it up. And I thought, wow, you know, this is really a hot topic. It's very fascinating. And I I started to get certified in different assessments. I, I you know, not just emotional intelligence, but Myers Briggs. And, and then I got interested in disk and all these other assessments, right? And because of that, when I started later to research curiosity, uh, I, I thought, well, I want to find the assessment that tells me what. Measures curiosity in terms of what stops it, right? And I realized that all the assessments out there just told you if you had higher or low levels, basically, or medium or whatever, but it didn't tell you what to do if you had a low level. It just said, hey, you got a low level. So that's where I was fascinated was how can i create an assessment that determines the things that inhibit curiosity so if i could do that i could help people move forward and become more curious so that's why my work got attention because nobody'd ever done that before and there was a good reason for it it was really hard <laughs> to figure this out i had to spend years of studying thousands of people so i i think this really led to Um, me opening up to some things that I really didn't like, like statistics, I had to learn factor analysis to be able to figure out how to do this because nobody else could figure out what I was, what I had in my mind. Right. And so I had to do it myself and it's led to me creating a couple different assessments from curiosity and perception and different things, which really has drawn a lot of attention. Um, that I didn't expect. I mean, if you look at how much people talk about curiosity before all this, uh, you know, there was very few um, articles coming out, very few things coming out. Now, if you look at it, um, there was just a research study that came out that showed that LinkedIn, the conversations about curiosity in the last two years has just skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. So I love that people are talking about this more because when you talk about all the things that you're trying to fix in the working world, like soft skills, you know all these behavioral issues. I I don't think a lot of people are going to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem, to me, is you know curiosity and asking questions because we get back to emotional intelligence and everything in, in some ways. Because you're a big part of emotional intelligence is empathy, which is the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right, and feel things from their perspective. You don't have to agree with it, but you have to be able to at least understand that, right? And to do that, you have to ask questions. So you're back to curiosity. So curiosity is the spark to everything that everybody's trying to fix. Hmm.
0: Totally, so it's so important that we we get curious at the underlying things. We we ask, we explore, we we see what the drivers, and then yeah, you know, to your point, like it inhibits it. You know, to go on that journey in itself. Before Mm -hmm. we go there though, what I, what I wanted to know from you is what, why, like why curiosity, why, why for you, maybe on a personal level, you know, is it say of all the things in the world, by the way, (laughs) I think it's amazing. Like what, why, why do you get so fascinated by studying just curiosity as a topic? It's not creativity, it's it's curiosity. It's super specific.
1: Well, I think because like you, I've interviewed so many people, I mean, on my radio show, I probably have had 1500 people I've talked to about different things on the show. And the really fascinating thing to me was the people who were highly curious were the most successful. I, I was trying to pin it down you know and I'm like, okay, you'd hear people like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or whatever talk about how that's what they thought would made them successful and then I'd start to read Oprah and a lot of other people would say similar things. And then curiosity is such a vague term to you know like it can mean what what do you just read every day do you just you know And to me, I looked at it as getting out of status quo thinking. I looked at it as a whole different realm. But when I started to think about writing the book, I'd already written several books uh, because I was interested after, uh, getting my d- dissertation done and all that I wrote about all these different other topics. And I, th- I never thought I was going to write another book, but the radio show kind of inspired me because I thought this is interesting why some people are curious and why others aren't because the people on my show were highly curious. That's why they're on my show. They were successful. And then I would teach. And some of my students kind of wanted me to just give them the fish instead of teach them to the fish. Mm-hmm. And they weren't that dis- burning desire, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. in them. Yeah so that totally. that
0: was what led to me to that. So cool. And and just do if I can keep going here in like growing up like your your environment where it was was curiosity something that was cultivated and nurtured or was it something that maybe was more shunned and in, in you know so you had to seek outside curiosities because of lack of you know the certain developments I'm just Yeah. Yeah I'm curious how this has manifested for you.
1: Well, what's interesting is I found four things inhibit curiosity and they're fear assumptions, the voice in your head, uh, technology and environment. So fate, uh, inhibits curiosity. And so my environment did actually have a big impact on me, both good and bad. Um, I would say, um, The good, my dad was very curious. He was born legally blind and he would just read a lot. He could barely see the newspaper, but he was able to actually read it. He would have the radio going at the same time. He'd have the sports going at the same. He had like seven things going into his head all at one time. And he was always learning at at dinner. We had to play school at night. It was everything was a game. So at night, you know, if you lost the question, he'd create questions that were like based on your age that he thought were appropriate. And if you didn't get it right, you'd become like a third of a hippopotamus or some silly thing, you know, but it was all like to learn all the time. Uh, And and I think that I got the curiosity and that multiple need for getting input in different ways from that. But we, I also was inhibited from my family because there was like good things to be curious about and the right things to be curious about. Like sports was super important. And I wasn't really that interested in the sports. And if you d- weren't interested in what they were all interested in, you were kind of like, Oh, what's wrong with you kind of thing. And yeah. I think a lot of people are like that, that they just have to go down certain paths because everybody around them says, this is what's good. This is what's right. Yeah. And so, and I did find that in my research, that was an inhibitor.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, to grow up, I mean, to watch you know, your father in, in that capacity, I mean, mm-hmm. Unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, just even unbelievable for him to like, you know, he had a choice, right? Do I want mm-hmm. to let something super, you know, impact my ability to learn, but it sounds like he wasn't going to let reality stop him. So you grew up yeah. with a model who seems to be extremely curious about everything. Um, so
1: Yeah, he was. He wrote
0: books. He did a lot of different
1: things and he would do things that most blind people don't do. I think maybe it was one of the reasons I had Eric Weimayer on my show, uh, who was the first blind guy to uh, hike the seven peaks and you know, all that. And I'd seen him climb at a rock climbing gym by me one time. And it reminded me of my dad, because my dad would like go horseback riding and play ping pong and do things that he shouldn't have been able to do, you know, <laughs> play golf. You'd have to find his ball for him, but he, he would play golf and he would do stuff, you know, and I'd like that. He didn't let things hold him back. I mean, he wasn't a perfect guy by any means, but he was interesting in that respect.
0: sure. Sure. Yeah. uh, Well, thank you for uh, sharing uh, some of that. You talked about the environment or the four factors that drive curiosity. Um, That's super interesting. So let's, you said to me, um, you know, discovering I mean this is fascinating in itself discovering like the four, you know finding what inhibits curiosity and the fact mm-hmm. is you know it's again it sounds like a math journey that you, didn't <laughs> know you had to go down um to tell tell me about that process like what to, how did you know where to start what what was your initial <laughs> attempts like how long did it take like I'm, I'm curious about you figuring out the, the four Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that was hard. I have to admit, I, I, I liked math when I was young. I mean, I liked algebra, but then when you get into college and you get into calculus and stats, I hated it, you know, and I didn't really think that it would be something I would ever want to do. Look for statistical analysis. I mean, I did enough to get me through my dissertation, but I'm thinking I'm never looking at statistics again in my mind. Right. But I wanted to solve this problem, like what stops people because it was driving me crazy. And so I would hire people from like Harvard and Pepperdine and different places, you know, who had had graduated from these great places. And they just kept giving me the same assessment, which was already written by a guy named Cashton, which is, how high or low is your level? And I go, no, I don't want that. I already, that's been, that's great. We need that. You know, we want to know if you're high or low and then see if things have impacted, but that's not what I was trying to do because it had already been invented. So I think what I was trying to do, nobody could do. So I couldn't stand that. I couldn't do it. I forced myself to learn factor analysis, um, which is what you, you know, to look at how these things, uh, come out on the charts and different things. And, you know, you've seen like those charts with the dots and you just got to figure out where things group together based on questions you ask. So the status, I mean, the, the, um, psychometric st- statisticians I had hired kind of taught me in a way how to ask questions. So I knew how to ask questions, but they just weren't asking the right questions. So I realized they were just asking if they were curious or not. And I was asking what impacts this, mm-hmm. right? So I started by just putting a question in LinkedIn. Well, you know, what keeps you from asking questions in meetings? What keeps you from being curious type of questions? And I started to see a lot of fear-based things, you know, people don't want to look stupid. They don't want to look unprepared. They don't want to be put on the spot, you know, whatever the questions, you know, the things that people said were, were all fear-based I thought. But then as I started asking a bunch of questions, I learned from just my experience with these statisticians that you ask a lot of questions and then you whittle it down because you'll get outliers of different dots that don't go together. Right. So I, just whittled down these questions over years and sent surveys to thousands of people over the years and just kept refining it until you get a certain percentage that shows that it's statistically good, right? On these reports that it it was a a valid. So I, because I'm a PhD, I know how to, published peer reviewed stuff. And so I published my results in peer reviewed journals. And, you know, so it's legitimate. It's not just like I put this thing on my website and it's a cool thing to take. It's actually a legitimate assessment, but it took me years and it was harder than if I had known what I was going to have to go through, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's like having kids. If you don't, you're better off not knowing how hard it is.
0: Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you kind of went on the dawning, dawning track to kind of say, no, I don't want what's been done. I don't want to just know how curious you are, or if you are curious, but I want, I want to get to the, the granular and the specifics of kind of what this means and what this could mean for organizations or people and then how to make behavioral changes, I'm sure, and, and, and yeah. kind of lead a more Interesting life. It sounds like you you cracked this. You you kind mm-hmm. of got you got the uh, formula, or you uh-huh. got the parameters in place. So what, what did you do with it? I mean, you uh-huh. how did you know? You know, how did, how does it apply to yourself today? I know you serve on a lot of you know influential boards. You've been able to work with a lot of prestigious organizations. What 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 does that work look like in practice?
1: Well. Uh, I work with a lot, a lot of organizations where they either um, give this to their, their employees. Last week alone, for example, I spoke to a big group of LinkedIn uh, people. They hired me to, to come in and talk, and everybody had taken the assessment first, and then we go through some of the results. I mean, that was that's one kind of thing I do. I also do training of... People uh, who want to give this to other organizations, like I can't go everywhere to give this. So I have to train consultants and other speaker type people who do this kind of thing, who maybe give disc or other assessments. But I, I, you know, I started to train all these people to be certified. So, you know, I have training that I do for either them or for the organizations. And so I had to, because I've written a lot of curriculum because of being the former MBA program chair at Forbes school of business and all the stuff I've done teaching wise, I have this curriculum background of, so I designed courses and I designed certification training and all this stuff. And so I, in addition to training, I, I, I speak to a bunch of people, uh, all the time. I'm on shows like this and different things, getting the word out about curiosity and perception and some of the other things I write about, but it's just snowballed that, um, you know, you just learn so much. You've had to create my own organization to have this ability to uh, deliver this. I mean, it was hard enough just to figure out how to get the report to generate, you know, you know, when you take a disc or something and it gives you that 26 page report, Yeah, that part was probably the harder than anything else was finding people who would do that the way I wanted it to look the way, you know, without spending a zillion dollars, uh, doing it from my perspective. So, you know, you learn a lot of things and then now people come and ask me to help teach them. How do you do all these different things? So it goes into all different directions, but I really love when I get to go to, to speak to groups or, um, you know, when they've taken the assessment, I, I've gone to, I've worked with people, different groups, like um, Verizon hired me to do little videos for their um, onboarding and training and it plays throughout all their their stores and different things about curiosity. Uh, I've, I I speak to like EO groups, you know, about having them take it to learn to be better as, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, Novartis, you know, big pharmaceutical companies. I'm part of their curiosity month that they do. I'm part of a lot of the, the different things that they do because that's part of their core values. So, you know, these are all like really large, major organizations that have just realized, especially now with COVID that everything ties into curiosity. And I often give this as an example of how curiosity ties in Say you're going to bake a cake, right? And you, you look at it, curiosity this way, instead of thinking about curiosity for a second, think about baking a cake. That's your end goal. You've got ingredients, you've got flour and oil and eggs and whatever it is. And you mix ingredients and you put it in a pan and you put it in the oven. And what happens well, you want cake, but if you didn't turn on the oven, you don't get cake. You get goo, right? You don't get what you want. And in the working world, when I'm talking to them, it's the same kind of thing. They they know they want cake, which is money. They want productivity and financial success. They know they have all these ingredients, like they want innovation and engagement and motivation, and they're mixing everything. And but nobody's turning on the oven. Hmm. And the oven, to me, is. Curiosity. Curiosity. And no matter who I've had on my show, like Francesca Gino of Harvard, who does this great HBR piece on the case for curiosity or anybody who's a curiosity expert or any kind of expert at all, creativity, doesn't matter what they're an expert in. If you ask them what comes first, they all say
0: curiosity. Totally. Yeah. It seems like the the essential ingredient to drive innovation and different thoughts because where do you go without it? So it seems like your work is very versatile. The applications are vast. You have different ways of applying it to the world and people to do a lot of different things in a positive way. For you on a uh, just personal level, where, where do you find yourself the most gratified or fulfilled or um, feel the most impact with the work that you do?
1: You know, uh, my work for decades was always in sales. So, you know, you get that rush from sales that hyper, like things are going well. And so when I'm busy, I'm the most um, content. I I love to do multiple things. Maybe I'm as my dad with the radio and the thing and everything going on at one time. But so I'm the most content and happy when I've got, I'm teaching for 10 different courses at one time while I'm going to different organizations and I'm doing my radio show and I'm on these boards to me. Life gets very boring if I just don't keep doing things that make me uncomfortable. And I and I think a lot of people hit that uncomfortable area and they quit. And I want people to not do that because that's when you get into status quo. That's why the Kodaks of the world are gone. That's why the blockbusters of the world are gone. Uh, I mean, their status changed, if not gone, because everybody feels that sense of comfort because, Oh, this worked really great in the past. But see, with me, I get super bored. If I try to just continue doing the thing that made me happy in the past, I have to constantly find something new because it's just, it's like, if you knew the meaning of the world and why we're here, everything all of a sudden was here in your head right now, the life would be really boring. You know what I mean? It would be like, now what? Right. So I love that exploration
0: to try and learn a little bit more. Yeah, got it. No, I mean, I know that when, you know, I, I would just bring this around when I was a freshman in college, I a sophomore. I, I remember it was like the first time I felt like someone like shook me and like it, I felt like I was living in a box and like he could like kind of cracked the box a little bit <laughs> and I could like build ideas around it. i never forget. And it felt so freeing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be able to penetrate a problem or you know with with a whole new pair of you know ways to work. And so what I what I love about what you're doing is is the fact that on an individual or a one-to-one level, even they might work with organizations or people, you know, across assessments, it's giving people that ability to look at things in a whole new lens and maybe a little outside the box or a little was just not in the way they would before. I mean, it's a very empowering uh, way to move through the world. And um, and so what I wanna ask you now is, when you look at your work and, and what you're doing now, are there any examples of individuals that maybe stand out that came to you and said, hey, Diane, I just innovated this, at my company, or I just did this because like you helped me with, you know, how the way to think I I'm just, mm-hmm. does, does anything pop to you when I ask you that question or trigger?
1: Well, you know, when I did those, um, Verizon videos, what one of the things we did was to take individuals from the company who had utilized curiosity and showcase what they did in the company that Took advantage of them using, you know, developing curiosity and share those stories. So some of these videos, like for example, they would say, give I'd give a couple minutes of why curiosity is important in a background. And then they take these individuals and say, you know, oh well, because of my curiosity, I took the chance to explore this, which led to this opportunity, and I became very successful. So there's a lot of those kinds of individual like people who will say, You know, um, I was just going through the motions and I hadn't thought about it until I took this assessment or I listened to you talk or whatever it is The one thing that sent them over the, the, the cliff to the next level. And I think that's what I was trying to do with the assessment was open up your mind to the fact that this exists maybe you didn't even think about it that maybe your parents said you always had to be a lawyer or that you don't ask questions because every time you've asked a question, somebody makes you the head of that committee and then doesn't pay you for it or whatever it is that, that's in there that you just didn't even recognize. And you just keep it's, there's this thought experiment where this woman keeps standing up and sitting down every time they ring a bell because everybody in the office, she's at a doctor's office. They're all doing the same thing. They're all standing up and sitting down. She eventually does the same thing with them without knowing why. And that's called social learning. And we at work, we stand up and we sit down and we don't even know why we're doing it. And that's what I was trying to get people to, to recognize. And so, yes, I mean, some of these videos are good examples of people who've decided I'm not going to just look at everything and not question it. Because I think when you do that, I think a lot of people are afraid to go to their leaders and because it looks like they're confronting them. And what's one of the things I get asked a lot when I speak, how can I go to my leader without them thinking I'm questioning them as a person or making them feel like what they're doing isn't right by my asking questions. And I think you can do that in the working world by saying, you know, I'm trying to develop my curiosity. I know that's the core value here. So I hope you don't mind if I ask this question that I normally wouldn't ask. Um, If you buffer, how you come, come across to people, that's a sense of emotional intelligence and recognizing that you're empathetic to their sense that they may have an insecurity over you asking this question, right? So again, we're back to emotional intelligence and these things all wrap around. And I found that was really true so much that my book after the curiosity book was about perception because I saw it about IQ, EQ for emotional quotient. Uh, CQ for curiosity quotient and CQ for cultural quotient combined, because this curiosity is necessary to get over our um, confirmation bias and think of how much everybody's latching on right now to their beliefs, whether they're right or wrong, without even opening themselves up to anything else, because we're just confirmation biasing ourselves to death with our choice of news, our choice of social postings, you know what I mean? So all this to me is about questioning and getting out of that "I'm right, you're wrong" mentality.
0: Yeah, well, we're all living mm-hmm. these mental models of how we right. see the world, and you know, whether it's our upbringing, it's our what we do consume. You know, all these different elements, mm-hmm. and it, it is really hard to to change or bring yourself into a new. It world. is. Um, And so when you give people the tools, right, the EQ tools, the IQ tools, you kind of blend them together, you know, I think that's what I'm hearing you say is a lot of, you know, the the transformative aspects of this work can really start, you know, being done to an individual, um, but they need to have the recognition of both.
1: Right, right. And I think Recognition is all about exploration and that's all back to curiosity and so if i could get people to just not be on cruise control mm. uh and and think you know wouldn't life be much more interesting if i didn't just be on cruise control because you're gonna hit some bumps and you're gonna fall down, but they, I would, it's like, you don't want to, if hiking is the exploration to the top, if somebody just dropped you on top of the mountain on, with a helicopter, it's not nearly as fun of, of a thing to, as what you feel when you've made it, climbed it yourself. And I think a lot of people look for the easy way. I know a lot of my students did, and they missed out on the exploration, they missed out on making mistakes. I mean, mistakes are some of the things that are the best lessons ever. No matter who I've asked on my show, would you go back and change anything? I used to ask that when I first had a show. You know, Of course, everybody says no, because you learn everything that way. And I think that we're so afraid sometimes of doing the wrong thing that there isn't a really a wrong thing. And I think that we have to recognize that There's so many things that hold us back. And part of getting over that is to do kind of a personal SWOT analysis and look at your weaknesses and your threats and things that hold you back and come up with kind of smart goals and things to overcome some of those things. That's part of that curiosity growth journey that I talk to people about. It seems so simple and yet very few people do it.
0: Mm, Yeah, no, I... I am shocked, right? I I, I think just growing up and being more entrepreneurial, I look at the world, I think, through a different lens as to you. Not that it's a better lens, but I, I always question why it seems like the vast majority of people, right? They just, they, they float through life just very yeah. comfortable yeah. In, in their own way of doing things. And I, I just, I don't look down on that. I just find it really hard to connect into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, we need worker
1: bees. We need some kinds of different people. I mean, we can't all be Warren Buffetts, you know
0: right. totally. but <laughs> how, I guess so my my question is it's like how, how do you how do you make people care uh-huh. desire to be more curious? Right That's a good question. who aren't maybe naturally inclined to display those qualities or or care to display those qualities.
1: Well, it's kind of like emotional intelligence. The people who need to read the book aren't going to be the ones that see it on the shelf and go, oh, I need to learn to be more emotionally intelligent or I need to be more curious. Right? So it was people like Daniel Goldman that made emotional intelligence a big buzzword uh, with his popularizing it. And then leaders saw the value of it, and they instilled that as training and different things in organizations. So this is my—that's why I came at this from an organizational standpoint. People who are in the working world who who want to get better, or leaders want them to get better, because there's going to be people people sitting on a farm somewhere, which lo- they love what they're doing. They're not going to need to do a whole lot to change what they're doing, right? But if you're in an organization and you want to climb the ladder. Then I need leaders and individuals in the workplace to recognize the value of incorporating this into the core culture and our mission and vision for the culture. I mean, Xander Lurie was on my show from SurveyMonkey, and he's you know CEO of SurveyMonkey. They actually changed their address to One Curiosity Way because everything they do is based around curiosity, right? Because it's asking questions and surveys, and you know. So, you know, when companies have it in their core culture the leaders take it on and emulate what they want to see, mm-hmm. then that's how we get other people to recognize, oh, okay, so this is a rewarded. This is okay. Because if we're not rewarding them or emulating, we're not going to to change that.
0: Yeah. Wow. Looks a great story. And I mean, I think you're right. You know, it's got to take people from, you know, not always the people who go who go look for the book that need it the most. People probably walk right by it and say, I don't need right. that. So, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard challenge, but, you know, hopefully the right people end up doing the work, right, that that they need it the most. So as you look at um, where we are today as a society, you know, more globally, right, have you noticed or studied all the different cultures, um, ones that drive more curiosity, ones, you know, parts of the world or regions, you know, using the factors, you know, where areas that you see curiosity is, is really ingrained and then maybe other areas where um, the way of doing things is, is is very kind of hardwired.
1: Yeah, there was a study by Merck and I, I it looked at like Germany and the United States and different countries and, and um, Germany maybe was more curious than U.S., U.S. was more curious than others, you know. It, it, there's research out there that shows different areas. Um, I focused on the U.S. Um, and, but when I wrote my book on perception, I, I looked at just the meaning behind certain things, you, you know, like in Asian cultures, it's not polite to ask certain things or to, you know, act in certain ways. And I, I think Joe Lurie had a really interesting book. He was on my show. He wrote about perception. Can't think of the name of the book off the top of my head right now, but I remember quoting him and, and, the book I co-wrote with Dr. Maya Zelahitch on, and you know, we looked at a lot of these cultures and the meaning behind a lot of different things. So we we were all going to do this exploration in a way that fits in our culture. You know, you're not going to go to somebody and ask them an insulting question that, you know, in somebody else's culture. And, and that's part of what we see companies training people to do when they have to go work in other areas. Maybe we want you to be curious, but remember this is the culture within you. You know, you've got to be respectful and so there's that you have to be curious about the culture then at that point and make sure that we align to the values where we were. Another common question I get is what do you do if your boss isn't curious and they don't want you to be this way, right? and the question is a good one because if you work for a company where they aren't valuing some of these really important soft skills, either the leader's going to end up leaving because they're not going to be successful or the company might crash or something's going to happen. So you either decide to tough it out, wait for that guy or gal to be gone, or you maybe sometimes it's t- time to switch and work for some place where they do value what you think is, is meaningful.
0: Well, yeah, no, it makes, makes sense. I mean, what you said about germany and the studies i mean it, it, it's so interesting to me how parts of the world or, or different areas you go like there's an energy or there's a there's a yeah. way that you walk in and it's just it's more very stimulating and feels very open to explore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. areas don't and so mm-hmm. i think for your work i think it, it could be i mean so powerful i think people really want to be unlocked i mean it, part of your work too it's so cool it's like how you by helping people be curious, you're helping them like realize their potential. You know, yeah, it falls a lot into what you've done. So, take me maybe on a journey like five or ten years out. Like you, you're where? Where do you see your work evolving? How do you see your work continuing to make an impact? You know, what I'm just when you look down the road a little bit, like what what do you see for yourself with your work?
1: Well, you know, I I like continuing to work in behavioral issues. I uh, really can't do a lot of it all by myself. So a lot of it I partner with other companies. I'm in a, a group that Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn had created. Uh, it you know backed this group. Um, flourish. They were incorporating the curiosity code into apps and different things, you know, to grow your, uh, abilities through that way. So I've got things like that going on. Eventually I could see probably partnering or selling to a large organization that just the way Daniel Goleman did with his emotional intelligence test, um, that, you know, like corn fairy, I think has his now, and some of these major organizations that can put, the weight of a huge um, engine behind making this be—I would hope—bigger than DISC, bigger than other things out there, because I think that DISC and Myers Briggs and all these are really great for conversations to not only know what what—I mean—you can make fun of some of the research behind Myers Briggs or whatever, but what that does is tell you not only what you are. But it gives you an insight as to what the opposite of what you are, you know, have what they have that you don't have, and what they need to make them thrive. And I, I think what interests me about creating assessments and having these assessments get out there at scale is that this opens up this really important discussion of how can we go beyond where we are and build our curiosity to get more innovative, to get more engaged. Cause I mean, companies lose 500 billion uh, a year here in the United States on engagement alone. And if curiosity, which we've seen ties into engagement, Novartis has proven that in their own individual studies. I mean, but we've, we we really know it's tied into the bottom line. So to me, getting this out there, having um, a much broader uh, uh, reach with it would be my goal and have uh, partner or sell out to somebody who wants to, to do that.
0: Yeah, no, it's amazing. And and if you do that, right, the more people you'll, you'll impact the more, you know, the exponential effect of that, on the ideas they'll create and cultivate and the change you'll make for people is, mm-hmm. is really rewarding. And it's hard because you can't always measure that, but to know you're, you're, you're inflicting that change is, is really cool. Um, Diane, this has been, such a joy to have you on the show. Um, where where can people who listen to this, you know, hire you, reach out to you, buy your books? Um, what what is the best place for them?
1: Well, it's pretty easy. It's just my name, dr Diane uh, but you can follow me on social media at dr Diane Hamilton and I'm, I'm on the same and all the social media sites. And it's just D-R D-I-A-N-E-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N dot And uh, there's all kinds of drop-down menus and things you can get free chapters and whatever on my site, there's all kinds of different, uh, areas to explore from the radio show to the curiosity and everything else is all on the same site. So you can find it there as well as the perception information. So it's, it's been really fun. Um, you asked ask such great curious questions, Brian, I loved it.
0: Well, you know, I, I know it wasn't your typical, let me dive through your book and ask you about your frameworks and this. And so I, I, <laughs> I uh, appreciate the autonomy to, to march at the beat of my own drum. And uh, thank you for showing up as you did.
1: Oh, this was fun. And thank you. And I look forward to chatting with anybody who contacts me. Let me know
0: you heard me on Brian's show. There you go. Well, we'll send them your way. Thank you, Diane. <laughs> okay. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.